It's time to go into business for yourself. Get ready for another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. Education, insight, and inspiration. Here's your host, small business and franchise expert, Tom Scarda. And welcome to another episode of the Franchise Academy. My name is Tom Scarda, and we are talking about ghost kitchens today. And um, if you have not listened to the Franchise Academy before, this is your one-stop shop for everything franchising, everything you ever wanted to know about franchising, how to buy a franchise, build it, sell it, everything that you need to know. So you might have heard of uh, the phrase ghost kitchen. And I'm not a restaurateur. I have a slight idea of what it is, but I had to go to the source. I had to go to my franchise, my restaurant franchise guy, Gary Okio Grosso. And Gary um, owns and, and is um, the head of Franchise Growth Solutions. So he helps franchises start, grow, and sell more franchises. So I wanted to go to Gary and ask him, what's up with these ghost kitchens? What's going on with COVID in the restaurant industry? So Gary, welcome aboard. Well, thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me uh, on today. Um, you know, your, your opening question there really is, is pretty broad based. So, you know, what's going on in the restaurant industry in COVID, um, (laughs) you know, to, to, to focus on kind of the positive aspects, we'll leave out what's going on in places like New York where they're closing restaurants and people can't go inside. Cause I'm not, I know that's not really the topic of, of this conversation. It's more about how are restaurants looking to thrive, survive, and grow? Yes. And it's interesting because you mentioned ghost kitchens, and that's, that's one aspect of it. And before I really kind of get into ghost kitchens, you know, one of the things that um, I, I, I want to really focus on is what people are used to, and that's kind of like the regular bricks and mortar restaurant. And how are bricks and mortar restaurants uh, growing in this type of an economy with COVID? How are bricks and mortar restaurants uh, opening up with new franchises, at, with new franchisees? And quite honestly, um, and, and as terrible as this ordeal has been for everyone in the country over the last 11 months or 10 months, whatever. Or, or the planet for that matter. <laughs> all over the planet. You're right. I, I, you know, I'm an America first guy. So that's, that's my thought. But <laughs> I, I guess the, I guess, you know, there's opportunity, um, despite the horrific tragedy that we're all facing. There is opportunity. You, you know, when a when a forest burns down, it's tragic, but it makes room for new trees, yep. and there's more sunlight. And when it rains, the rain gets everywhere, as opposed to just in the leaves at the canopy of a of a mature forest. So, what do I mean by that metaphorically? Is if you wanted to open up a bricks and mortar restaurant today you're probably looking at opening up a restaurant at a lower cost and with far more flexible terms, uh, not only in funding, but also in terms of leasing a space. So when you consider, and I'll break that down for you very quickly, when you consider that you can probably find, as a result of so many restaurants closing, you can probably find second generation restaurant space as it's referred to, meaning a space that was formerly a restaurant. And you can go into that space and open your concept at a lower cost. Why? 
because the back of the house, the kitchen area, probably has, it may even have equipment, but even if it doesn't, it has the guts, the bones, the expensive part of a restaurant. And what I mean by that, it probably has the hood, the Ansel system, the venting, the three compartment sink, the, the electricity, the plumbing, the bathrooms are in the right place. That's what costs money when you're opening a restaurant. The front of the house, when you think about it, is, is cosmetic, it's tiles, it's paint, it's tables and chairs. There's nothing really mechanical about it. So that's one reason. Another reason is if you're financing a business these days, as I've told scores of people, you know, my grandmother didn't pay 2.87 or 3% in interest. Her interest rate was higher. We've got fr virtually free money now from, from lending institutions. And unlike, and we were talking about this before the program, unlike 08 and 09, when the banks, you know, we had a banking crisis, we don't have a banking crisis. The banks are flush with cash and they're looking to lend it out. And you've got third landlords who are far more flexible because they want to get tenants back in. You know, they don't want to be with vacant property everywhere. They want tenants back in. So from a bricks and mortar point of view, a bricks and mortar restaurant, it's a great time to be opening a restaurant. Plus keep in mind, and you're in the, you know, you help folks get involved in a franchise. If you help someone get involved in a food franchise today, they're not opening tomorrow. It's going to take them four, five, six months to open. So think about where is the world going to be in six months? The, the vaccines are out. The euphoria of people starting to, you know, we're all going to be crawling out of our foxholes, so to speak. <laughs> So six months from now, the world is going to look like a very different place. Yeah. So a bricks and mortar business, uh, an actual restaurant is not something that should be overlooked. And it should be something that you should take COVID into account when you're building that restaurant to incorporate a lot of the things that we've learned, such as third party ordering platforms, delivery platforms like Uber Eats and that sort of thing, which yeah. kind of takes me into the ghost kitchen. But before I do, do you have any... Did you have any question on kind of that first part? Because I kind yeah. of started off with that for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, as as you had mentioned, I match people with franchise opportunities based on skills and personality all over the country. And I've been doing it since 2005. One thing that uh, always bothers me, irks me, or whatever you want to say, is somebody will call me and say, there's a vacant building. There's a vacant store in the strip mall. And it would be perfect for this, you know, acai bowl franchise. Um, how, how do I get going? And and that not that may not be bad, but when they start talking about I want to open up something where they're actually cooking food, you were talking about the the bones of, of a restaurant. Some people call it wet space, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely, a so, wet space. So share that. So so I can't just open up a restaurant in the middle of a strip mall where a shoe store used to be, right? I have to be in a wet space. What, is that, what does that mean for the okay, listeners? Okay, well, and that's, that's, that's great. Well, look, there are different, municipalities have different levels of definition on that, but essentially a dry goods store would be a shoe store, a stationary store, someplace where you're not cooking, where you don't have a lot of plumbing, you don't have a lot, you know, three compartment sinks and maybe grease traps and this sort of stuff. A wet store, is typically, typically, it's a restaurant. 
Um, and I guess the term wet store versus a dry store has to do with, with the plumbing. Now, there's a few things to consider. First of all, um, if, a, if, a, if there's a strip center and a space is not permitted as a wet space, it's a dry space, the landlord may, may, again, every municipality is different, the landlord may have to apply for a variance in the town in order to get that use as it's called. If it's already a restaurant, then that use clause is already built in. Now, there, it, you know, everything touches everything else, as I always say. So why is that important? Because if you're gonna open a restaurant in a strip center and it's a dry space that you, and, and you wanna to convert to a wet space and what is the town gonna to wanna to know the town's going to want to know how much parking is in that parking lot. If it's, yeah. again, assuming it's not a, an urban strip center, but, you know, like a, a shopping center, because the number of parking spaces that is necessary for a dry goods store, where you're walking in and you're walking out, you're buying your shoes and you're leaving, you're buying your lottery ticket and you're leaving, you're going in versus a restaurant where you're sitting there. 20 minutes, a half an hour, if it's fine dining, you might be there for two hours. You have to have a certain number of parking spaces per seats. Yeah. So if the landlord, let's say the landlord has 10 stores in his shopping center and five of them are already re restaurants with seating, he may already be it or she, don't wanna leave anybody out, May, may already be at the maximum number of seats available for the entire piece of property. And you can't open a restaurant there because you can't put any tables and chairs there because there's not enough parking. Yep. So this is kind of this the dry space, wet space. What, you know, if you're looking to get into good locations, again, right now, we have this opportunity because there are so many closed restaurants that you're not going to have to deal with that they already exist and 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 if that weren't the case and if you're looking at new space or other space you know then I always recommend you work with a professional commercial you know retail broker who's going to help you with that information because unless you are not only experienced in opening a restaurant but experienced in understanding the real estate or how you lease and What's the LOI and what's the landlord going to give me? Am I going to get free rent or build out time? Am I, unless you understand all of that, you could have a great concept and you can find a great space and make a terrible, terrible deal that kills your business because the rent's too high or whatever. So there's a lot of moving parts. I mean, that's kind of what my business is. And I know your business is making sure you have the right person and the right concept and all right, now we got the right concept, the right person. You got to get them in the right space at the right deal. Right. Well said. Um, and, and that answers a lot of questions for a lot of people. And so that's helpful, man. That's why that's why I love having you on the uh, Franchise Academy. <laughs> well, well, thank you. So so to kind of now kind of cross the bridge into ghost kitchens. Yes, please. And, and I will tell you that the very first time I actually saw this in play and it wasn't, I, I don't, I don't know that Brian, a friend of mine, a gentleman named Brian Berger, who, who has a place on, uh, on 23rd and Park Avenue called the sous vide kitchen. Um, it's a virtual food hall. It was a restaurant, but now he converted, you can eat there, 
but when you go in, I think he has five concepts and they don't really exist anywhere. They're just beautiful websites and he could they deliver the food or you could eat it there. But the concept, that was the first time the idea that I saw, this was several years ago. I mean, this guy is brilliant. I think he was way ahead of the curve. Um, the idea that you could capitalize on how people now use food establishments. Okay, now I'm an old school guy. So I like to go to a restaurant. I like to get my hang out maybe a little bit. If it's a fine dining experience, for sure. If it's a fast casual, I like to hang out a little bit. My takeout go-tos, again, I'm in the, I'm in the baby boomer category. So my, my takeout go-tos are, you know, Asian food, Chinese, the Chinese takeout guy and the pizza guy. Okay? That's, that's my equivalent right. of takeout, okay, or delivery. The idea, however, now that branded concepts like, say, Chipotle um, have ghost kitchens or McDonald's, you know, this is really trend setting. And uh, by the way, it's a direct, I believe, a direct result of COVID. Yes. So let me take a step back and first kind of define it. Yes, please. What it is. So it's a restaurant, a ghost kitchen is essentially a restaurant that doesn't live in the real world, so to speak. There's no bricks and mortar. Everything we were talking about ten, five minutes ago, you can just throw it out, okay? Because you're not, you're not worried about the location and the deal and the space because you're not looking to attract people to come to you. Um, that being said, um, there are different variations of ghost kitchens. And again, kind of a quick sidebar to that is if you think how Younger people, let's, let's say people who are, you know, maybe 40 years old and younger, maybe, maybe 35 and, and younger, certainly the folks who are, have either grown up with or have never known a world without the internet or without a phone, okay, Gen Xers, they've never known the world without a smartphone. Now you think about that, okay? their ability or their desire or their method of ordering food is they go to their computer or they go to their phone, they open an app either for a particular restaurant or they'll go to Grubhub or you know, one of the third party ordering platforms as they're referred to and they'll start scrolling. All right, I think I want pizza and I'll order this, that and all of a sudden magically and they don't mind paying higher fees and delivery costs and everything. Magically, I'm in my office and a pizza shows up or Chipotle shows up or something, some kind of food shows up and I don't know and I probably don't care where the actual restaurant is. And in this case, there is no actual restaurant. Right. So a ghost kitchen is simply a kitchen that produces food for off-site takeout and delivery consumption. No one's eating there. No one's going there. So okay. it makes sense almost, could it almost be like a commissary where they're, they're almost like in a basement somewhere cooking and it doesn't. So like, I'm trying to make clear that you open up, you, you know, you want Japanese food. So you're, you're looking on your phone and you order from that Japanese restaurant tomorrow night. I want pizza. I order from that, not knowing it's the same exact place that's making the pizza. 
The next night I want gyros or gyros, some Greek food, go back to my app. And it's the same guy that's also making that. So he could be making five or 10 different cuisines in one kitchen. And it doesn't matter because there's no restaurant. It's just a website. Is that, does that explain? Yeah, that? I mean, look, there's, a, there, there's significantly more, more uh, uh, flesh around that, so to speak. But yes, essentially, you're correct. The, the actual consumer-facing, the consumer-facing restaurant is a website. That's what the consumer sees. That's the experience. So you, you, have, to be, you have to be very clever in how you brand yourself because you don't have the opportunity of guests coming into your physical space and having an experience. Uh, you know, some people would say that's good because they go to restaurants sometimes and they have bad experiences. Right. But, 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 but one of the keys is that that consumer facing image of your brand has to be very, very cleverly created and crafted because that's the sum total of the experience, that website, and then of course the food. However, when we talk about the simplicity of, and by the way, ghost kitchens are also called cloud kitchens and virtual kitchens. They all have a name, but ghost kitchen seems to be the, seems to be the, 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 the name that most people are, are using in terms of categories. So you have to think about a few things, there's, and there's different types. So there is the existing restaurant tour, okay? The person that has a restaurant that decides I'm gonna roll in a hot table and a cold table in my kitchen, maybe I need two, 300 square feet, or I'm gonna reconfigure my hot table and my cold table and my grill, and I'm gonna create a website, and normally I'm in the Mexican food business, but now I'm gonna to start to, to sell, um, I don't know, wraps, okay? And I'm gonna to try to cross utilize as many ingredients as I already have in my place, and I'm going to try to use my own delivery people where possible. Uh, and I'm going to try to cross utilize all of my talent to keep my cost lower. And basically, I'm going to have one real live restaurant and you, people are going to go in there and they're not going to realize that maybe the Asian food they had yesterday at their office or at their home came from the same location. Right. Okay, so, so that's if a restaurant tour is looking to expand their brands without, by the way, because you know, when you walk into a restaurant and they have, you know, a menu that's 20 pages and they're selling everything from meatloaf to chimichangas, not only do they not execute well, but they confuse the guest because the guest doesn't know, am I in a Mexican restaurant? Am I an Italian Where am I? Right. Okay, so menu extension, and that's a whole nother show. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but menu extension kills restaurants. But now you can actually extend your menu, cater, so to speak, to the likes and the desires of other customers, but not mess up your current restaurant. So that's if you already have a restaurant. Right. Now, let's say you're an entrepreneur and may, or maybe you have a food truck and you want to kind of, you just want to start a restaurant and you want to see how it goes and, you're, you, and, you're, and you really don't feel like spending $400,000 to open up a bricks and mortar. So you decide you're going to rent some, a kitchen, a small space, you're going to roll some equipment in there. Um, and you're going to do all your business on third order, uh, third order platforms like Grubhub and Seamless and what have you. 
and you're not going to deliver, you're going to use Uber Eats and DoorDash and all of that stuff. And you create a space and you create a website and maybe you have four brands, two brands, one brand, and that's how you're running your restaurant. That would be a second way. A third way, and there's about four of these, by the way. So number three is there are now companies, you mentioned the word commissary before, there are companies out there that have rented large spaces, brought in all the equipment. And I want you to think about this as we all know what WeWork is. Mm -hmm. Think of a kitchen version of WeWork. So instead of having little offices, there's little kitchens. Oh, wow. And these companies, yeah, years ago, people would have called them restaurant incubators. It's inc incubators. They're not new. They're just being used in a new way. So now that person is kind of the landlord and he's renting out all these little spaces with equipment. So now I have an idea, but I don't have money for equipment and I'm not going to rent a space. And so now I just, and I go and I rent a bit of a kitchen. I, it's, it's a cooperative. Right. I still have to build my website. I still have to do that. Still have to connect with the third party ordering. I still have to have my delivery. Still have to have my distributors, but now everything's coming in and I'm basically focused on cooking and everything else is being taken care of by someone else. Obviously there's a cost to that. And then the fourth thing that I've seen now, and I actually have two, two, two meetings with two different companies that are now taking that concept, that big kitchen, con that shared kitchen concept, and they're franchising that. Yeah. Where they're creating brands, a burger brand, a sandwich brand, an Asian brand, a Mexican brand, and you can become a franchisee and you now you're the person that owns that big ghost kitchen that either rents it out to other people or you're running those brands out of that ghost kitchen. That's so there are multiple, multiple applications for this because it allows you to grow. It allows you to be in markets that you wouldn't ordinarily be in. If you're an entrepreneur, you can start at a lower cost. If you're a restaurateur, you can add a new brand. There are a myriad of, of, of opportunities with this. Right. Um, I guess I would say if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, or it could be. And there's always two sides to the coin. So keep in mind, um, if you're using third-party ordering platforms and delivery services, you're giving up a big chunk of money for that. Yep. Um, the barrier to entry has been lowered. And for those of you who may remember the frozen yogurt craze five, eight, 10 years ago, why did it seem to explode and then die? Because there was no barrier to entry. Anyone could go and lease space and rent a couple of Taylor soft serve machines and they'd set you all up and everyone and their brother-in-law and mother-in-law was opening up a Froyo place and the market got flooded and people got tired of it. And that was the end of that, okay? What concerns me about ghost kitchens, because um, I think they have their place, what, what concerns me is what's driving them. So if I'm a restaurant tour and I have bricks and mortar restaurants, I'm learning from COVID and I'm learning from ghost kitchens 
how to use third-party ordering, how to use delivery, how to maybe create one other brand in my restaurant, but I'm not the guy opening up the ghost kitchen. Right. Because again, I believe as we begin, as the world begins to move out of COVID and we're, we are already, I know the numbers are staggering, but it's not, this is not the new norm. Okay. Just drop it from your vocabulary. I know I sound maybe a little pushy when I say that, but I don't mind because I'm a positive thinker and I know, you know, whether it's six months or eight months or what have you, we will emerge. And when we emerge, the market, the demand for delivery will be reduced. Right. And there will be, hopefully not, but there may be this oversaturation of these ghost kitchens. And now, you know what? I enjoy going out to my local Mexican restaurant. I don't have to order in. COVID is under control. I'm going out. It right. doesn't cost, it actually probably costs me less yeah. to, to go out and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm, it's, it's a diversion. So now I'm not using the ghost kitchen. So now are we, and nobody knows, but I have a pretty good feel for this. Are we going to have this abundance of ghost kitchens and not enough users? Yep. So I think if you are a restaurant tour and you add one, if you are renting a small space and maybe you have one or two brands and your costs are low and you have a really unique concept or a really unique menu, I think you could probably get past the, you know, the oversaturation, so to speak. Yeah. But I think if people are just running around and we're opening up, you know, hundreds of ghost kitchens at some point, that demand is gone. Um, so I have a question about marketing, right? So I know how to market a restaurant or any store, but it's a ghost kitchen, right? And so nobody sees me, hence the word ghost. How do I market something like that? Well, when you consider, okay, so now consider a few things. First of all, some I got to take a step back and talk about location because people think, well, if I have a ghost kitchen, the location doesn't matter. It does. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm serving a higher priced item and I say, well, I can get cheap rent in kind of a lower, uh, uh, maybe an impoverished neighborhood or something. Well, guess what? Your buyers may not be around you, you know, your customers. And if you go, well, it doesn't matter. I just give it to Uber Eats and they'll just drive it, you know, a half an hour to whatever. Well, what's your food going to look like in a half an hour when it's in a container and Lord knows how it's treated. So setting up your ghost kitchen in an area, at least within proximity of who you believe your market is, is key. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, I'm going to open this kitchen and deliver food 50 miles away. Don't work that way. Okay. Um, I think, the other piece uh, about, you know, the marketing, if you think about, and again, let's not just look at it in the vacuum of COVID, okay? Because another, I think another silver lining, two, two silver linings, additional silver linings of COVID is number one, a lot of the technology that we're using to run these restaurants already existed. Okay, there's nothing new about Zoom and Uber Eats and all of this, nothing new. It's just that people weren't forced to use it. Right. So to some extent, COVID has pushed all of us five years ahead in terms of using technology that was there, but we weren't using it. That's Mm -hmm. the first thing. 
The second thing is people my age, okay? I keep, keep going back to the baby boomers, okay? We didn't necessarily use all of this stuff. Now, I, you know, I'm taking somebody like me and you kind of out of the equation because we're in this business. But the average, the average Joe or Jane who's, you know, 55 or 60 wasn't picking up their phone and opening up an app and ordering, you know, food to be delivered through DoorDash or Uber Eats. Right. For the, for the most part, I don't want to speak in absolutes, okay? But most baby boomers weren't doing that. Well, guess what? We've now discovered it and it's easy and it's convenient. So even when, even when restaurants do reopen, my desire or my ability now to order on my phone as an older person, now I get it. I might do that more often. Yeah. Okay. That being said, the vast majority of folks, and I, my, my friend Doug Smith over at ROI Marketing in Ohio, I'm sure would agree with me. Um, and I know he would agree with me because he taught me what I'm about to tell you is that a lot of this type of use, how that, how that ghost kitchen is used, is used by people who are digital. Again, remember, the younger people are more digitally inclined. They're not turning on the TV and seeing Ronald McDonald commercials on TV or opening up their coupons in the mail or looking through the Wednesday paper clipping coupons. They're, they're marketing, they're marketed to digitally. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, blogging, TikTok, you know, all of these things. So if you're going to market a ghost restaurant or ghost kitchen, knowing that the primary user base is going to be younger and more digitally inclined, then you're going to market on those digital platforms because that's where those people kind of spend their time. Make sense? I got it. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And, and the other, so two things I want to mention just on a, on a personal side is that um, for me, you know, I obviously in the height of COVID, I started using all the uh, platforms for delivery and it, in, it enabled me to explore other restaurants that I normally wouldn't have visited in my surrounding neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh yeah, I heard about that, that, you know, Mexican place, two towns over. Let's get from them tonight. And so it expanded our horizon in that way. The other thing that's funny is like way before COVID, I'm talking about two or three years ago, my daughter, who's a millennial, uh, her and her husband were living in Astoria, Queens. And it's a very, you know, millennial neighborhood. If you're not from the New York I, area. I grew, up, I grew up in Queens. I know it really. I, knew, I know you know, absolutely. <laughs> for all our listeners in the Midwest and the West Coast, uh, around the world for that matter. It, it's a neighborhood right on the other side of, of the river from Manhattan. And so they would order, they loved, loved, loved this particular Mexican restaurant. And she was telling us that they abruptly stopped using the delivery services. It was a business, a business decision on their part because it is expensive to use those guys. They take it right out of the restaurant tourist pocket. Um, and, and so she's like, yeah, I'm really sad. We were ordering from them like twice a week. And, and now, you know, we're not ordering anymore. I was like, it's your favorite Mexican restaurant, right? She's like, yeah, I'm like, doesn't matter that they're not on Seamless or whatever, just call them. 
and get it. They'll deliver it to you. She's like, call them? Yeah. <laughs> call them on the phone. She's like, no. <laughs> another restaurant. Well, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I hear you. Um, and, you know, when we build out restaurants for our clients, when we, when we do what's called fran dev, franchise development, you know, part of what we do is we take the person who has the restaurant and teach them how to franchise it, and then we help them franchise it. A lot of the POS, the point of sale system. So, for example, we always recommend Toast. It's my favorite POS system in the restaurant business. They have their own online ordering platform. They have their own loyalty club. They have their own rewards program. So your daughter doesn't actually have to call them. She might be able to just go online and order from their website. Right. Because a lot of restaurateurs now have upgraded. You know, it used to be when I had my first, when I had my Dunkin' Donuts shop back in Jackson Heights, a neighborhood really close to Astoria. Yep. Okay, we had, you know, these big giant cash registers and they were bang boxes and they, they all they did was keep money, you know, and what have you. But today, the POS systems, the point of sale systems are basically a tablet and it's cloud-based. So your cash register, so to speak, is really an online computer. Right. So orders can come in. You can communicate with guests. They, they do a lot of other things in the restaurant, like track labor and, and, and inventory and stuff, but we're talking about you know ordering. So yes, you can call the restaurant and, they, and they'll deliver. But again, for the digitally, the digital uh, generation, right. going on and not, instead of going to Grubhub, going to you know my favorite Mexican restaurant's website and ordering online, the experience is no different than ordering at a Grubhub or on a or in a third party. It's just that I'm saving the restaurant tour twenty to thirty percent. I'm ordering directly, and 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 trust me, they're real happy about it because they're not giving up those fees. Right. Yeah. Great point. I was thinking like a you know a baby boomer. So you got to call them. That's what I was thinking. Right. No, <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm saying. We, if, if we're going to be successful in the rest, if we're, if we're a baby boomer and we're going to open up a restaurant, we better not be thinking like a baby boomer. Like that's fine. We can do all of that, but we need to understand how to build a restaurant concept wise, meaning what is that menu? Is it sustainable? Is it organic? Is it, you know, more healthy food? How, what's the, what's the, what's the digital, what's the technology in running that restaurant? Are my employees scheduled online? Are they clocking in digitally? How am I marketing? Am I using, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok to market my restaurant? That's who we really need to be going after. Uh, I read the other day, and again, I'll just assume that the stat is accurate, but either near or at 50% currently of the workforce is now millennials. Huh. So 50% of, let's say, your lunchtime customers are, are digitally minded. And I use that term digitally minded because it's not like you and I, well, I'll leave you out of it. It's not like me using my phone and my computer and all that other stuff. I've learned how to do all of that. I've adapted but the digitally minded grew up with it. And I guess if I had to liken it to anything, 
I would look at my parents who viewed television as a marvel, whereas for me, I grew up in the 70s and we had television. It's the same thing. Younger yep. people are growing up with this digital access. And if you want to reach them, that's what you need to do. That's it. And that's why ghost kitchens, if you tried to do a ghost kitchen maybe 15 or 20 years ago, maybe it wouldn't have worked because access to it wasn't there. Yep. So now you have access to it and you have need. That need, by the way, has a nasty name called COVID-19. Okay, yep. it's created the need. Put those two things together and you have this explosion of ghost kitchens. Yeah. Brilliant. Gary, I want to <laughs> thank you so much for that explanation. This is perfect. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best route to get you? Uh, best route is you can go on our website, which is frangrow.com. The email address is info at frangrow, one word, F-R-A-N-G-R-O-W.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, you know, again, I'm, I, I'm always happy, even if you don't connect, um, but you want to send me a message and you have a question, you know, as I tell folks all the time, being a student of Seth Groden, uh, Godin, I'm, I'm I, uh, you know, I am a, um, a practitioner of the gift economy, so to speak. So, you know, I'll just put stuff out there. Just hit me up with a, with a, yep. with an email or a yeah. LinkedIn message and I'll answer a question. Yeah. You have great content by the way. So, Oh, thanks. It keeps me up at night. I, it keeps me up at night thinking about this stuff. Yeah, me too. I know where you're at, <laughs> but I want to thank you so much for your time. We'll have you back again soon. Um, it's always a pleasure to have you on the Franchise Academy. Thank you so much, Gary. Pleasure was mine. Thank you, Tom. This has been another episode of the Franchise Academy Podcast. For more info, go to our website, thefranchiseacademypodcast.com. Remember to subscribe to Tom Scarta's YouTube channel for educational videos on franchising, education, insight, and inspiration.